Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode 19. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In this episode, I sit down with Pamela Stokes Eggleston. Pamela is a published author, stress management consultant, wellness resilience expert, national speaker, and sleep wellness coach. She founded Yoga to Sleep due to her challenges with insomnia and secondary post-traumatic stress. Pamela goes into deep detail about how her own life experiences led her to focus on the connections between yoga, sleep, and supporting veterans and their families. Pamela shares about the importance of tapping into what she calls tiny bits of joy. Join us for this conversation that invites us to each use this practice to serve others. Hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Hey, Pam, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So I'm hoping that you can introduce yourself. Uh, Tell us about you. Who are you? What type of work do you do in the world? How has that maybe changed this year? How are you doing this year? Like, tell us, uh, <laughs> tell us about you. Yes. So my name is Pamela Stokes Eggleston. I am a yoga teacher, a yoga therapist, and yoga trainer. I am the founder of Yoga to Sleep and co-founder of Retreat to Spirit. Yoga to Sleep is kind of my business where I work on people that have sleep deprivation issues, insomnia, have issues with stress and overwhelm and relaxation. And with my Retreat to Spirit partner, Mina Nauru, we created a business to kind of have an umbrella for overall well-being and wellness in our communities uh, with regards to service and being leaders in our community, using the tenets of yoga, using mindfulness, using self-care techniques to to be our best selves in our communities and the society as a whole. So I'm excited about about that. Um, And I came to yoga, oh gosh, it's been, I started practicing yoga in 2001. I started practicing regularly. And I have been teaching yoga for probably about 12 years now, fully. And I started teaching, I had been practicing for a while. I just didn't want to kind of really focus on being a teacher. I wanted to kind of step my game up with my yoga practice. And so I took a 200 hour and a 500 hour, both in a Pranakriya style yoga. And then I kept going with trauma-informed trainings through the Veterans Yoga Project and Mindful Yoga Therapy for Veterans and other trauma-informed trainings. Um, and I got involved with a lot of yoga in nonprofits in the work that was being done. And that was where I saw yoga as service, Seva really being displayed. And I was interested in in that. So I became involved with a lot of uh, nonprofits. I had done a little bit of volunteer work with the Give Back Yoga Foundation. Um, I actually went to a yoga service conference at the Omega Institute. And I actually met Amina there uh, probably about five or six years ago. And we hit it off immediately. Um, Amina was 
on the board of the Yoga Service Council and actually was one of the catalysts to bring me on the board a few years later, uh, subsequently. So that was interesting. And then um, while that was going on, I'm still doing my yoga to sleep business. I created um, uh, an arm of my business as a yoga therapist where I'd work privately with clients who have sleep deprivation issues with regards to any illnesses they may have. So for instance, I have a client that has um, multiple sclerosis, um, two clients. I had some veterans clients who had post-traumatic stress disorder and sleep issues. So there was always some kind of underlying issue, um, health issue, TBI, traumatic brain injury, injury, and issues around sleep. Um, And then simultaneously, I was doing work um, as I left the board of YSC and then became co-executive director with Amina Nauru uh, to do that uh, regularly. And that was actually a lot of work while I was doing retreat. I mean, while I was doing yoga to sleep, we had created retreat to spirit prior to actually coming off the board of YSC. So we had to kind of put that on hold, but we're still working on some things in the background, which was actually was pretty good. And I'm happy that we, we continue to do that because now we're thriving with Retreat to Spirit. We're moving forward with that. Um, I actually learned more about yoga as therapy through my program at the Maryland University of Integrative Health, where just last year, did I graduate last year? Yes. Seems like it's so far away. (laughs) Um, I got a master's in science in yoga therapy And I am currently um, on the adjunct faculty for MUIH doing um, clinicals, which will be starting in a few days, which I'm kind of nervous about because it's like online, everything is online now. And when I did my clinicals, I did them in the MUIH clinic and I also did them at a Johns Hopkins hospital. So it was really getting in into some of the stuff that I got to do as we worked with yoga in different ways. Not everybody can get to a mat, right? Not everybody can get to a studio or, you know, to some outdoor park to do yoga. Like some people are sick and they're trying to get treatment. And so what are the things that yoga can bring and help those people? It was, it was really exciting for me and got me kind of you know, revved up to provide more yoga therapy with my business, Yoga to Sleep. It's been an interesting year, right? 2020 is can't oh, can't get over soon enough, but there's lots of lessons that I think I've learned this year. I primarily work with people who are dealing with sleep deprivation and insomnia. Sometimes that's acute insomnia. Sometimes it's chronic insomnia, like many of us are dealing with this year. Like mm-hmm. I think there are more people actually dealing with chronic insomnia due to stress and things like that. Uh, because of COVID, and it's been it's been amazing. So I have actually slowed down. I think my workload this year because everything is pivoted to online, and that's changed for me because I originally was kind of reticent to move a lot of my offerings online. Mm-hmm. I have a sixteen-hour yoga teacher training. I have some, I was doing meditations and a lot of that energy that you share with people is in person. So I had to kind of move to an online platform and kind of change my thought, my mindset around it. Yeah. Even though I had been working with 
a couple of nonprofits prior to COVID providing services online. So, I mean, I had practice with working with groups and offering workshops online prior to COVID. And so I don't know why I was having a hard time with it, but I think it was more of me not wanting to do it, Sure, (laughs) you know, and, and yeah, me, me not wanting to, um, to, to deal with that. So I hope that answered your question. Yeah. So the focus of your work, um, tell us about yoga to sleep. Like why is sleep so important? Why does that center, um, with your work? Well, I created yoga to sleep because I had, I was dealing with sleep deprivation issues. I'm kind of a recovering insomniac, if you will. So I actually, years ago, when my husband uh, got back from Iraq and he was injured in Operation Iraqi Freedom, he had PTSD. And one of the symptoms of that, uh, one of the myriad symptoms actually is sleep deprivation and problems with sleeping. And so if you're sleeping with a person who has sleep issues and they're having, you know, (laughs) these types of issues, then, you know, it kind of spills over into your life as well. So I was actually on Ambien for a while, uh, taking Ambien. I was taking the five milligram Ambien and I noticed that I would be asleep, but I didn't feel rested when I woke up. Right. Like Ambien just kind of knocked me out and then I woke up, you know, I didn't remember any dreams or anything like that. And I still didn't feel rested, but I guess it was enough to get me through my day. Um, I was still working corporate at the time. So I was kind of dealing with that. And I'm somebody that really loves naps in the afternoon on Saturdays, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So it was like, this is crazy. So I recognized that it wasn't good enough for me to be on Ambien. And I had, as a result of dealing with all of these issues, really my secondary PTSD, given up the things that I love to do, taking naps, yoga, gardening, all of these things that when you're doing things that you love to do kind of help you in, I would say, establishing a sleep ritual Mm. so for yourself. So I returned to all of those things. You know, you, you start taking care of people and you, you lose yourself and the person doesn't ask you to do that. You just kind of do it. And I don't know why we do that. It's society. It's all this, it's guilt. It's all of these things as, as a caregiver or a caretaker. So once I returned to the things I love to do and return to yoga, it was, it was amazing. And I recognized that a meditative posture class or a more restorative class or yin yoga or yoga nidra in any combination helped me with sleep. Right. And I was, I loved it. I got, I came off of Ambien, which was arduous. That was the most, that was the craziest thing ever in my life. It took me, I didn't get a, I didn't get sleep for a whole week coming mm. off of that. So I don't know how people are on that for years, um, but I get it. And I actually, started returning to yoga, you know, took return to my practice, started teaching people. People were like, oh, yoga and sleep. Yeah, we know it works because there's Shavasana. But then there's so many yoga programs that just focus on vinyasa and that kind of stuff. Just asana, really. Right. And I'm like, yeah, no, it's more about breath, how we're breathing in meditation and how we allow that 
that prana to move through our bodies to support us in a restorative um, and recharging way, right? So that was kind of my impetus into that. Other than I love naps. Um, (laughs) Sleep is important because I'll say pre-COVID, one third of the nation was suffering from some type of sleep deprivation, whether it's chronic or acute, whether it's one night a week or the whole week. You know, most people are walking around with some level of stress and, you know, discontent now that we have COVID. So I would say that that percentage has probably increased since uh, late 2019 into this year, Mm -hmm. right? So it's important because we need to get have our circadian rhythms, the cycles, the rhythms of our sleep-wake cycle, right, on track. And a lot of us have been off kilter because we haven't been waking up and going to a nine-to-five job, per se. A lot of us have had to come and work from home or... Our routines are disrupted. Our, our routines are all over the place. And so it's harder to get really good quality sleep when you have a disrupted routine and we need to be mindful of our sleep wake cycle all the time. And that's the circadian rhythm. It's also important because sleep regulates hormones. And as we know with, you know, I can talk about cortisol, the stress hormone. Mm -hmm. I can talk about DHEA, the vitality hormone and why there should be balance with those two hormones in particular. Uh, It's, it's really, (laughs) our stuff has been thrown off. How much cortisol has been, (laughs) have I dealt with? Yeah. You know, do I feel in my body dealing with COVID, dealing with the news of, of hearing about people dying and that kind of stuff. All of this is very heavy. Mm -hmm. And so sleep is important, but it's almost counterintuitive to the way that we're running and moving and operating in these times. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think also, you know, like aside from whatever sleeplessness people might have just because of like the, how stressful this year has been, like I think as a culture, we're sort of conditioned to not rest. You know, like you talked about this a little bit uh, about with regards to caregivers, like we help everyone else before ourselves. I think like capitalism kind of conditions us that our worth is connected to our productivity and how much we get done. Mm-hmm. And so like we overwork and we, um, we end up not prioritizing like the rest, uh, half of us as it were, it's like all about production. And so, yeah, it's, it makes sense why a lot of people might not be getting quality sleep or enough sleep. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if you would, um, talk about your, uh, work with veterans, like where did that start and why that work is important to you? Um, yeah, so, I fell into that. I mean, (laughs) my dad is an Air Force veteran. My husband's a a veteran. um, And my grandfather served in the Army in the Atlantic and Pacific conflicts. And he was in the Army. And I never put, like, I never put all of that together in in the way that that affects me personally. Like I knew I was like a caregiver to my husband and I felt like, well, I had some practice with that, right? Because when I was in my twenties, my mother passed away and I didn't realize I was a caretaker. Like there are all these fancy names, caregiver, caretaker. Mm -hmm. And so 
when that happened and he got back and we really were trying to hunker down to return to some semblance of normalcy, even though that's virtually impossible. I mean, you just can't do it. He started doing a lot of work with veterans and we were always getting invited to these events. So we would go to these galas and balls. We'd go to military uh, Christmas parties and things like that. Uh, we got invited to the White House. Uh, I was invited a couple of times because Michelle Obama's our first lady forever, <laughs> Michelle <laughs> Obama, um, actually took on the mantle of military families. And so during their campaign, they were really active in going to communities. And that was one of the things that she took on. And mm -hmm. I was involved heavily in the, actually, uh, the campaign at that time. And with a few other military spouses, uh, co-founded a nonprofit called Blue Star Families. My husband is still on the board there. And it's like now, it's really big. It's It's uh, been around for several years. And it was because we wanted the world to know that military spouses don't sign up for this kind of, you know, oh, we have to suffer right. because we decided that our veteran is serving and, oh, you should have known what you were getting into. No, no, and no. My husband was a reservist. He was working as a network architect. He's a computer engineer at Verizon. He got called up to go to Iraq. So mm. people need to educate themselves a little bit more about how the military really operates. So that happened. And, you know, I never had the experience of living on base, living in base housing and that kind of stuff. But it was still just as disruptive in terms of him being wounded. And so we met a lot of people that way. I met a lot of great folks. We got to talk to a lot of people. Uh, my husband uh, actually recovered at Walter Reed. It took three and a half years. And during that time, I got to understand the flow of things, some things I didn't like, some things I was okay with, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. and it was there that I started really returning to my yoga practice. Once I got my 200 and 500 hour, I was like, like I'll just teach in a studio. Like, I didn't even really think I was teaching mm -hmm. at all. Like when I went to training, I was like, oh, this was Amber, this was before they had intensives, you know? So you just took a 200 hour, like, I'm just going to take this 200 hour to be better at what I'm doing, mm -hmm. like get more, you know, involved, get deeper into whatever my practice of yoga is, expand my horizons. Right. So once I did that, I realized, oh, man, okay, I'm, it, I'm teaching this. And I was actually teaching before I, I, I finished my 200 hour. I was like, oh, this is cool. So I'll just teach at studios and keep doing my other things that I was doing. And then I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. People like come to your classes. And then people were like, hey, maybe you should teach veterans. And I started, um, I actually had a friend, Chris, who right as I was coming out of my 200 hours, like, you should come to this training um, through uh, Veterans Yoga Project at the time. So I came and I met a lot of people. A lot of folks were military spouses. A lot of folks were veterans and they're getting training, which is really specifically trauma-informed to work with veterans. Mm -hmm. So I've done training with Veterans Yoga Project, Mindful Yoga Therapy uh, for Veterans, and other trauma-informed training. 
And I said, oh, okay, this is something I might want to do. Let me start reaching out to some nonprofits. And I already had relationships in the space, right? Mm -hmm. So this is why relationships are so important. I already had relationships with veterans and service members in the space. So I started reaching out to them. Hey, do you want, can I teach yoga here? Can I teach yoga with you? And one of my colleagues who, who's, um, she runs the Women's Veterans Interactive. She actually was like, yeah, we'll just teach. You can start teaching women veterans here. Maybe we can get a grant. We ended up getting a small grant. Ended up teaching yoga there, um, along with teaching at uh, an American Legion, a couple of American Legions, which is interesting because I went upstairs to teach while they were at the bar smoking. I don't know if you <laughs> yeah, ever yeah. been, you know. So, you know, it's been very interesting. And then I started meeting other people and they were like, why don't you reach out to the VA? And I started you know, reaching out, seeing what I could do there. Um, some people were very, very helpful with me getting into the space of working with veterans. And some people were not and did not want me around. And that's just the truth, full stop. I, they got a lot of doors slammed in my face. Well, okay, we already have this program. We already have that program. I'm like, yeah, but if you have the program and the veterans can't get there, then it's not, right. <laughs> you know, like it's not helping. Uh, so I, there was a lot of that resistance. And so I realized that based on my my work and how I was moving with the this uh, women's veterans group, I could move that kind of idea into working with other groups, nonprofits to work with whatever their populations were, service members, veterans, and their families. And so that's a long way around of <laughs> why I started it. Why it's important to me is is just because I'm you know a military spouse. My dad was in the Air Force. I mean, it's really you know it's a part of my family in a way that I think it's more service for me, like they served. I mean, even though my grandfather was treated probably horribly and had whatever, they called it shell shock back then, right? right, right. Um, and how that intergenerational service, trauma, et cetera, informs families was intriguing to me. And I just wanted to give back because I saw pain. I saw a lot of my fellow caregivers suffering. I saw these service members suffering. I saw relationships and marriages falling apart. Well, some of them needed to come apart and some of them, it was like, man, you just can't help it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's, it was, it was that kind of drive um, that I could not have, I couldn't have planned that at all. I couldn't have planned it. So can you tell us uh, maybe like a story or some examples of how, um, how you saw yoga show up in the lives of the veterans and the families that you were working with. Um, do you have any stories like that? Yes. Like how uh, it helped them. Yeah, I do. And there's some small stories I can start with. So I was working um, on contract with Blue Star Families at the time. I was on my way out actually. And we were doing these caregiver kind of workshops and I would introduce five or 10 minutes of just take a breath. Let's do one pose. Let's do some quiet contemplation. You know, I was using my language like this isn't a meditation, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Because at that time, and this was years ago, God, I can't remember how long ago, but it was still, what is this yoga stuff? Because everyone thought you had to come into scorpion, like, you know, <laughs> right. and, and that was yoga. And so it was the slow walking of me introducing it in small groups that was really powerful. And that's how I got to learn that the breath was really powerful in relaxing caregivers who felt like they were overworked and that working with mindset and how we think about breath breathing in our bodies 
was really imperative to how we could recharge, regenerate, and actually rest and relax. That's That was the catalyst for me. And then I started working with a nonprofit called Hope for the Warriors. I've been working with them now for about six years through contracts and et cetera. They have caregiver wellness workshops. They also work with service members and veterans. So I've done some stuff on both sides where I worked with the service member directly and I worked with wounded warrior caregivers directly. And that's been amazing because we just keep creating different projects. Their program has grown because they have been able to have the foresight to see how these different practices can work. And it's also because they have social workers there who are like trained art therapists who, who are trained in mindfulness, that kind of stuff. So they were already, you know, above the fray, I guess, in terms of accepting what the tenets of yoga could help the populations with. So those would be two stories, I think. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so I know you've talked a bit about caregivers and I'm wondering if you could just maybe talk a little bit more about, you know, what is it that you see um, when you're working with caregivers? You know, you mentioned some of like the harmful messaging or like the ways that we sort of abandon ourselves when we have to care for someone else. And so I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that, about the work you've done with caregivers and how yoga can help um, when it comes to uh, self-care for folks that may be caring for someone else? Yeah, so I believe that we can start off with talking to, or just having empathy. So practicing compassion and empathy as one of the, the, the uh, tools of yoga. And then the way that I approach it, because I'm a wounded word caregiver myself, I have that experience, but I believe that I have to be the example as I'm teaching others. And that's a, that's been a slow build. So as you have this kind of overarching theme of compassion, love, understanding, I also have to, I feel, be kind of the embodiment of what that self-care would look like. And I am in no way perfect, in no way, shape or form, but I believe that it's helped people by me saying, hey, I try to do a little bit of something, some type of contemplative work every day. I don't try to make it so rigid where it has to be at eight o'clock in the morning every day. And it has to actually be a 15 minute meditation every day, 10 minutes of breath, 30 minutes of asana, I am flexible. I wake up, I take time to reflect on how my body's feeling. And I believe that yoga is 24 seven, right? So mm -hmm. we need to wake up with this kind of purpose and gratitude. And how do we practice that even when we don't want to be grateful for anything or we're not, we don't want to be in that space and we're angry and we're feeling kind of stuck because we have to care for somebody or we had an argument that we didn't resolve the night before, what can we be grateful for? And basic stuff, the roof over my head, whatever, and then stretch in bed and then get up and allow the body to experience gratitude in the moment. That's a practice. That's, that's a practice. And so I would tell my caregivers that it's okay to have tiny bits of joy 
So the self-care practices can be, if you have no time, which I hear this often, and you have to use the bathroom at some point during the day, lock yourself in the bathroom for two minutes. You can be in the shower, you can meditate and you can breathe. You can sit on the toilet or the floor and breathe, You can, wherever. You can take tiny bits of joy for yourself and that will then build, hopefully. Hopefully that will have a compounding effect where you can then notice the self-care that you've given yourself reflected in your body. Um, and that's where the embodiment uh, begins. That's why I believe it's important for caregivers to really take time for themselves and not say, I don't have any time because I have to run to the BA. I have to drop my veteran off here and there. And I'm like, Hey, I've done that. So I know what you're talking about. And that's the other benefit <laughs> of me having that experience where I'm like, yeah, I've been there too. So you can't, you can tell that to somebody else. Right. But you have to take time for yourself, even if it's tiny bits of joy. Yeah. That's so great. Thank you. Um, so I would love to talk about resilience and um, especially when it comes to caregivers, but I think just in, re- in general too, um, it seems like that's like a theme, I think that runs through this work. And so uh, maybe you could talk to us about like, what is resilience? What do you, how do you define it? And how can we cultivate that with our yoga practice or what else do you do to cultivate resilience? Resilience to me means strength and love and love and strength. Mm. So I know there are different definitions. I know the military has a different definition. Everyone's like, I have to be strong. I have to show up. I have to be courageous. Love and strength and strength and love. And what that means to me is that compassion has to come first for yourself. And then you can share it with others. And then even when the thing scares you, you can show up courageously, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Mm-hmm with strength, building on that. I think we start to cultivate that when we learn to be kind to ourselves and love ourselves. And I'm seeing a lot of stuff in these times where things are getting disrupted, people are all over the place. And they don't bring it back to themselves. So every there's an outward energy, outward pointing of the finger, outward directing of whatever type of energy that's not serving us. And that, I believe, zaps our own personal and internal resilience. And I think it's important to really notice that. Like I see that happening in, all over. But I would also say that if we can return to whatever's working for us in that week, sometimes it's just pranayama. Sometimes it's meditation in the evening. And then reflect on, well, how did I show up for this incident or for this project today? And how can I develop those muscles of love and strength and strength and love? That's how we cultivate it. So it's a practice. That was a long way of saying, (laughs) you know, it's a practice. You have to keep doing it, but you have to do it. It has to be inner, has to start inside to then flourish outwardly. Yeah. And, you know, I want to refer back to something you said earlier, which was about uh, like tiny bits of joy and sort of, you know, you just said like 
building the muscle of like basically self-care and self-trust, especially for folks who maybe have ignored their needs for some time or whatever, it might feel like fake or phony to like even do self-care. And I think those tiny bits of joy, like we don't have to do some big, huge thing. It doesn't have to be perfect. We're not doing like, you know, an hour of asana every morning and 90 minutes of meditation. It has to have, you know, like that um, sort of like applying this perfectionist thing that with those tiny bits of joy, like that's how we start to build that muscle memory of like, I can do this. Like, I just wanted to connect that because I think that was really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It's everybody can do it. And it t- it's to start with one thing. Yeah. So um, how are you practicing self-care? Um, like, what does your self-care look like right now? And, you know, what are those? What's that one little thing or those tiny bits of joy? Um, do you have any practices you like to share with us? Oh, my God. Interestingly enough, I'm all over the place with (laughs) my self-care. So any given day, it depends upon my mindset and how I get out of bed and the time I get out of bed. So today I did some stretches in bed. I got up and I felt like, wow, I actually want to do some sun salutations. But I did a little bit of, you know, gentle movement prior and I did some sun salutations and then I did some breath work and then my meditation was a little bit shorter than it's been and I just try to go with it because what I've noticed um in my self-care practice and that's just the yoga part but like even before the yoga part I just take my time. When I wake up, I make my bed. I walk around a little bit. I do what I need to do in the bathroom. I put my clothes on. I decide, hmm, am I going to go downstairs or am I going to look at this plant? I mean, I just, I try to be present Mm -hmm. and in the moment Mm -hmm. and not worry so much about, I got to run downstairs and get my cup of tea, you know? Um, And that's getting easier. That was kind of a challenge for me, like pre-COVID actually. And that's actually become a lot easier because everybody's the creator now. Everybody is the developer. Everybody is the builder. And when you when you have, I believe, this moment in time where it's an awakening time, but it's also a time for sheer creativity, it gives you a little bit of space, buoyancy, flexibility Mm. to be able to say, I'm going to look at this plant and notice that the leaves look a little wilted and I need to water it, (laughs) you know, and I'm going to water it right now. And then I'm going to come back in an hour and watch the leaves receive the, the water that I gave it. And really just being in the moment of our lives, I, that's self care. Mm. And just those those are tiny bits of joy. I know people are like, oh, well, of course the leaves would, you know, because you, you watered it. But just to see that the water that I gave, you know, really to this plant and the plant received it and this plant is giving me oxygen in my bedroom. And to be thankful for that, those are tiny bits of joy. I think we, we're, we, we allow those moments to zip by us. We think they're fleeting and, and, and I think we need to pause and notice these. 
Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, so tell us where we can find you, what you have coming up that folks should know about, what are you working on that you're excited about? Um, tell us a little bit about your current work. Well, I am excited to be presenting at the Accessible Yoga Conference. This is coming up October, May through 11, right? No, I'm sorry, October 9th through 11. And I will be presenting with Amina Nauru as a co-founder of Retreat to Spirit. We'll be talking about service and leadership that Saturday. And then that Sunday, I'll be part of a community networking where the Accessible Yoga Board will be answering any questions. So it's a Q&A session. So I'm really excited about that. And then later this month, we, Amin and I are presenting twice at the Embodiment Conference. That's also online from the 18th to the 25th. So we have two sessions that we're presenting there. And at the end of the month, I am conducting my yoga to sleep training in conjunction with Yogaville. It'll be online and that will be November 1st, I believe, October 31st and November 1st. And that is on the yogaville.com website. So people can register there. I'm also excited to be teaching regular classes. So I have a regular yoga class. It'll be um, a yoga to sleep RX, I call it. And it'll be a gentle yoga, restorative yoga with the yoga nidra practice. And I'll be doing a meditation on Wednesdays at noon. So the the general yoga class will be Tuesdays at 6.30 Eastern Standard Time. And the meditations will be on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time. And I'm using the Union Fit platform for that. So I'm really excited uh, to be kind of getting back into teaching classes. Awesome. Well, we'll, we will link to all of that in the show notes. And um, usually at the end of our shows, we like to leave our audience with a question that they can use in the next time they sit down to journal or that they can just be in inquiry with. And I'm wondering if you have a question or a prompt that you'd like to send our listeners out with. Yes. So I'm always quoting movies and uh, as someone told me, several people, (laughs) and I'm always thinking about our current state of affairs and how we can be change agents and, and, and leaders in our own communities. And so the question would be, it's from a movie that I love. It's called The Untouchables. And so if anyone saw that with Kevin Costner and Sean, Sean Connery, you'll know what I'm, I mean when I say the question is, what are you prepared to do? Hmm. What are you prepared to do? Do you want to say more about that or just leave it there? I think either one. I'm going to leave it there right. because if, <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> I like what it. What are you prepared to do? What are you prepared to do? There we go. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, we're so fortunate to have you. Um, we really enjoyed – I enjoyed chatting with you today. So thanks for being here. Yes. You're welcome so much. Thanks for having me. All right. 
Thank you for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. I wanted to let you know that the new cohort of Jeevana Heyman's Accessible Yoga Training Online is now forming. The next section of this flagship training will run January 22nd through February 5th. And the Accessible Yoga Training is a 30-hour continuing education program that will teach you a new way of thinking about yoga postures and practices that honors the essence of yoga, but allows you to design multi-level classes where students of different abilities, ages, shapes, sizes, and experience levels can all practice together with ease. You'll get support from experts around topics like trauma-informed teaching, working with larger bodies, yoga for seniors, yoga marketing, and much more with our team of accessible yoga trainers. And since we're learning at home now, there's no travel expenses, everything's recorded with captions, and you can review materials and work at your own pace. So if this work is calling to you, we hope you'll go to AccessibleYogaTraining.com and sign up for the waitlist. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sending out information about the course and teachings from Jivana that will help you make your classes and learning spaces more accessible, whether you're teaching online, in person, or don't know what the heck is happening next. <laughs> so spend the beginning of 2021 developing your skills as a teacher who can make their classes accessible for all and have every student leaving your class feeling affirmed and successful. Join the waitlist now at AccessibleYogaTraining.com. We hope you'll leave us a review wherever you subscribe to your podcasts and also subscribe to this podcast. We love hearing your feedback. It really helps us to make it a little better each week. And we hope you'll give us some input on future guests or topics that you'd like us to cover. Just send us an email through our website, AccessibleYogaTraining.com. We'll see you soon. Thanks.